fall. And that being the most important thing in a given season, in a given time of life. And that is the thing that cannot fall, right? And that glass ball can change from season to season. So in one season, it may be super important that you focus on family. And so that is the thing where maybe work takes more of a backseat. Maybe, you know, your personal hobbies take more of a backseat. And it is like all hands on deck for family. And another season, work may be the glass ball. Hey, it's Breaking Barriers, the diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging podcast. We're here for real talk. We're not afraid to go there. And we want you to come away emboldened and energized to take action and make change. We believe our diversity, our differences, when joined together by a common set of ideals, makes us stronger. When I set out to help someone, uh, it is my intention to do just that. I'm not trying to do anything other than meet somebody at their humanity. Your world has changed, but your dreams shouldn't have to. That's why Kirkwood is your next best step. With affordable, flexible, and close-to-home options, now's a great time to start or finish your Kirkwood degree. Learn more at kirkwood.edu slash findyourfuture. Displaced or discouraged at work, Kirkwood can help you learn a new skill or totally reinvent yourself for a brand new career. With so many flexible and affordable options, you can get back on track fast. Learn more at kirkwood.edu slash find your future. All right, what's happening? What's happening, world? What's happening? Welcome back to another episode of Top Ranks Breaking Barriers, the DEIMB podcast brought to you by five-star presenting sponsor Kirkwood Community College and our silver sponsor, PG Cares. We appreciate their support. I'm your host, Anthony Arrington, joined by my homie and my friend, Nick Ford, and my homegirl and my other co-partner, Joy Briscoe. What's up, y'all? How you doing? Happy Friday. Well, yeah, I don't know it, when this it, airs. It's, it's a Friday when we're recording it. So. <laughs> it is yes. Friday. So yeah. we are celebrating and walking in that. So yep. Happy Friday to everybody listening, and especially to our guest today. Yeah, yeah. We're about to get Bye. into it. Who we got, Joy? Who we got today? Well, I'm so excited. We have Desiree Coleman and Desiree Coleman Fry, because as That's we were right. talking off camera, Desiree is married now, but Desiree Coleman Fry helps women live abundantly. She's been featured in the New York Times, Business Insider, Blavity, and PBS, and was named one of the Hive's 2020 Top Diversity and Inclusion Leaders of North America. As a graduate of LinkedIn's prestigious Creator Accelerator Program, she centers working moms and and offers resources to help moms balance work, wellness, and womanhood. And I can't wait till we dive into that because I need that <laughs> help. But <laughs> with a following of 40K on the platform, Desiree helps mothers live abundantly, love their babies, and level up in their career. As a diversity, equity, and inclusion executive, Desiree advocates for workplace equity and is the recipient of the 2022 DNI Champion Award from Career Mastered and the 2019 Rising Star and DNI Award from Investment News. She holds a Master's of Public Administration from Syracuse University, is a Loyola Academy trustee, and resides in St. Louis, Missouri, where my mother's family is originally from. With her hey. husband, yes, that's right, with her husband and four children. Desiree, welcome, welcome, welcome. I've been so excited hey. to have you. I don't know if you remember a few years ago, we reached out and yes. we had to do something virtually. And I, yes. I can't wait till we actually have you in person. Yes. But for now, uh -huh. this is going to have to suffice. Me and my partners are so excited to talk to you today. And just how do you do all of these things? How are you a, a DEI practitioner, advancing equity, but also making sure you make space and create areas for working moms? So I'm so excited to dive back in. But my first question, 
is around something you recently posted that I was just really, really um, intrigued by, and that is that concept of the concrete ceiling. Can you explain what the concrete ceiling is for our listeners? And what do you say when people say there's no such thing or they don't, we're not there anymore. We had a black president, so there's no concrete ceiling. What do you say to those people? <laughs> okay, so we going there. Um, okay, first That's of all, <laughs> thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and yes, Joy, I definitely remember um, the panel that we were on together. And Anthony and I have kept in touch over the years. So it is a pleasure um, and so glad to meet your other co-hosts today. So thank you for having me. As you were reading my bio, y'all were like making me blush, but um, <laughs> really excited to be here. Um, so I'll answer your first question, the concrete ceiling. I have been in this really reflective place seeking to learn and grow. Um, one of my colleagues called it um, me-search, which is um, in the psychology profession, research that you do about yourself. And it, it made me feel so seen because I am always reading and trying to understand the experiences of other women of color. And I came across a really great article that was in Sanford Social Innovation Review. And I want to give some credit to the author, so I'm going to um, find their name, but essentially they were talking about this concept of a concrete ceiling, which is an impenetrable wall that women of color face. And many of us have heard of the glass ceiling, which is this um, sort of perceived barrier that uh, women come up against in the workplace. And so we've talked about shattering the glass ceiling and creating um, opportunities for women to be the first and really pushing past the paradigms that we have known in the past. But the idea of a concrete ceiling really piqued my interest because it takes into account the additional barriers that women of color face in the workplace. So the microaggressions, the feeling excluded, the having to tone police themselves, having to be hyper vigilant around other, what other people are thinking of them. And it, it, it really just sort of outlines the additional hurdles and, um, and the challenges that women of color will face in the workplace. So thank you for bringing that up. Interesting. That's, I, I hadn't heard of that. I'm thinking it sounds like it's something impossible, like, like black women can't break through. And I'm like, no, nah, we ain't having that. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate, yeah. right? I appreciate the the <laughs> sentiment, but it really, it's, it really does start to paint the yeah. picture that if you think about who enters the workplace. Yeah. Women and men enter um, yeah. in pretty comparable rates, but as you think about a pyramid, where the higher you go, the less women that you see, and the less women of color that you see. I did see a recent statistic, um, and I want to say maybe um, Tashunda Brown Duckett posted it uh -huh. that um, CEOs are like, yes, CEOs are, uh, women CEOs are like 10% for like the first time ever in history, um, according to something that Fortune recently put out. So that's wonderful, but we still have a long, long, long yeah. way to go. I admire your hope though, Anthony. Yeah, I'm hoping. Mm -hmm. I've got to have I hope. love that whole concept because I mean, our whole thing is about breaking barriers, right? It's uh -huh. just like, how do we get through those? And yeah. So what, what advice would you have for, for people hitting that concrete ceiling? Whew. It's hard. It's so hard. Um, you know, there are all of these things that I've been reading lately around like the punishment gap, which um, 
highlights the ways that people of color and people from other marginalized identities are punished more harshly for making the same mistakes and looking at how, um, you know, you, you hear concepts called like the broken rung, which is that first promotion that would really set your career on a trajectory when a woman or a person of color misses it, it really does create this seismic gap that makes it really hard for them to catch up to their counterparts. And so um, for those who are feeling it, I think naming it and giving language to what they are experiencing is so critical so that you can know like it's not you <laughs> it's actually the environment that is creating those um those feelings those experiences so i think a normalizing it is so important there's this really great hbr um article that says stop telling women they have imposter syndrome um, I know Jody Ann Burry is one of the um, authors, and I'm gonna find the name of another of the other author. But it's the concept that we put the onus on women to say, like, oh, don't don't feel like you can't do things. You you know, don't feel like you have to 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 diminish yourself. Don't feel that you know you can't. But really, why do people feel that way? Mm -hmm. It's likely yeah, because the environment is not welcoming. Right. Yeah. The environment has um, made them feel that way. And so we put the onus on the person who is most impacted rather than assessing what about the environment is making people feel like yeah. they can't achieve. What yeah. about the environment is making people feel silent? So, yeah, we talk a lot um, about that. And we talk tar about target the impactor, not the impact. Yeah. Or the root exactly. cause. Right. We talk root about cause, the yep. issue. Right. But we're not dealing with the root cause of why that person feels yes. that way. You yes. know, one thing. Well, I, not only that, Anthony, but also the trauma of continuing to try to have the impacted. Yeah. address it i mean right it's right. just compounding and right. it's just like at some point it needs to go the other way and yeah it's your problem right. it's, yes. a you, it's a you problem right. it's a you it's, it's a very you much problem. a you problem yeah. very much a you problem not you know, a us problem. Like a, desiree you know again we met a few years back obviously and we've kept in touch over the years um but i gotta be honest you know we talk about in this space bringing our whole selves to work and and you do that online and you're a social influencer obviously but one thing i didn't know about you until maybe a year ago is that, and I, you probably remember, I didn't know you were in a biracial marriage. Yeah. And when you posted yeah. that, uh, three, you know, kind of, I think three things kind of hit me. First thing I was like, oh, cool. Cause I'm in a biracial marriage. I was like, that's cool. Me too. Right. Um, then I thought, you know, gosh, her, man, I knew she had leverage in this space, but her lived experience, boy, she can really walk the walk. She's, <laughs> she's got this lived experience. She just has more leverage. And then I kind of, <laughs> then I kind of wondered, you know, how has life been as a, as a black woman with a, with a white husband, you know, in this challenging and doing this work we do. So I kind of got two questions and I'll just ask one cause I don't hog the time, <laughs> but how has life been? How's the life of a biracial family been for you personally and professionally? How has that helped you in this space? Um, my husband and I have a running joke that I am living out my DEI values in our relationship. Um, and so, you know, one thing I appreciate about him, okay, I found the name of the author. It took me forever. <laughs> um, uh, nope, psych. I'll come back, but I will give you the name and I'll answer your question first. Um, I mean, it's really interesting. I will say personally, I had never dated interracially, so this is not like, so it's new to me. It's mm -hmm. all sort of a new process and journey. And so when I met, I didn't know my husband 
my now husband for years. Um, but so also when we started dating, um, I was like, okay, I'm, I have a series of tests so I can see, you know, how this is going to work. Like yeah. do black lives matter. And he was like, yeah. I got to sign my phone. I love that. that. You're like, okay, check. Check. (laughs) Right? Because I like, I need to know. Like, so, um, and so, um, it's been, it's been really, um, it's been a really interesting personal journey for myself. I never saw myself being in an interracial relationship, but, um, now that I'm married to Jay, like, I so see how our, way of approaching life, our desire for justice, like just aligns. And so actually the work that I do every day, that is one of the the things that kind of like brought us together. And so we are regularly talking about um, issues of injustice and oppression, like for our little date night last night, we watched the 1619 Project and, you know, just really had, which shout out, if you have not watched it, run to Hulu I'm and watch it. So Nicole is so a good, good friend of mine. So I've been texting her like, yeah. again. Who's a good friend? Nicole. Nicole's from Waterloo. She's what? from Waterloo, yeah, yeah. She's from our city. So You're classmates, right? Yeah. yeah, we were classmates. Yeah. Although I joke with her because she's like a year or two older than I'm always like, I don't think I was in school when you got in there. Like, shut up, Joy. Yeah. But, but we founded her um, 1619 Freedom School here in Waterloo. So she's oh. the president. And we're the So I, I'm like, we are so proud. We could not be more proud of you. Like, um, literally. First of all, I love how you just drop, you know, yeah, you know, me and Nicole are just, and I'm like, that's what I was like, I'm sorry, what? Rewind, who? We're, we're, we're trying to leverage that. Nicole, if you're listening, yeah. we want yeah. you next for a guest. Yeah, and then bring Oprah with, with you. you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And let me just be in the background, just taking notes yep. because he is just brilliant. Like brilliant. I, brilliant. um, let me just fangirl real quick because I first became acquainted with her um, when she did this, um, New York Times Magazine article about choosing whether or not to send her child to the neighborhood school versus, you know, a different school. And I, like, I'm sure so many other parents have grappled with that choice of like, you want the absolute best for your child and you recognize that the consequences of making different decisions. So I became a fan way, way, way back in the day because (laughs) um, I just appreciated her lens and being able to so clearly articulate um, how all of these issues of injustice kind of interconnect. Yeah. She still lives in Brooklyn too. Like she's still, she's like, she gets, unfortunately she gets mail that threatens. She's like, I live in Brooklyn. So Threaten every time I walk short, outside. Short walk over, long walk back. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, now I appreciate you answering that that question, Desiree. You know, because I, I've been curious about you know how how life has been and how it's impacted you professionally mm-hmm. and personally. I know for for me, I, I I've been with my wife for thirty six years, something like that. We've been married for almost twenty five, um, and we've gone through a lot of phases in our life, personally and professionally, as a biracial marriage. And we've got biracial kids now, but. You know, I can say that it's given me leverage in this space because I get to knock down the conversation that I'm a racist. That those things go, you, you can't have those conversations with me. So it, it does give me leverage to start conversations. Uh, I never thought, of, obviously, that wasn't on my mind when I started dating her. But I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of wanted to know you've grown so much, and it was it's nice to hear, you know, kind of how you've 
leverage that and that you all met in that space. So thanks for sharing that. So I've got a couple questions for you. One you kind of already approached was the punishment gap. So I'm pivoting here. I'm pivoting midstream. Um, I also read something you were talking about self-editing and talk about, you know, Olympics and the way you termed it was mental Olympics. And I, you know, can you tell us more about that and what, what your mindset was? And you wrote that. And then my last question is, how do you do all this as a mom to four kids? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I've got three and they're out now and one granddaughter and just the granddaughter comes to visit and I'm done after an hour or so. <laughs> um, okay. I'm sorry for like my one track mind. Yep. Hanae Coast Roshani is the author of The Concrete Ceiling. So okay. if you all have a chance to go read it, I just wanted to shout out their work because it, really was pivotal in forming my thinking. Um, and you've got a great book list out there it? anyway. So yes, yeah. I need to compile one. Yeah. I did. I posted did. one for yeah. MLK. I posted yep. one for MLK. Yep. Um, there are so many and I was, it was hard to narrow it down, but how do I do it all? I do, I do it all. Um, I feel like um, I am constantly um, like recalibrating. I think for me, figuring out how to, have a little bit of time for myself and how to give my family the best is like, those are the most important things to me. And then, you know, speaking, writing, those are passion things, but they also help me learn, grow, um, understand. So um, I just do what I can. <laughs> do you feel like too, I am, um, so I'm wondering, do you follow? Cause in my mind, like me and you are, girl, we talk all the time, right? Okay. And so, <laughs> Hey girl. So you follow Valicia Butterfield that she did. Um, she was the president of the recording Academy and she's the diversity lead for, um, Google now. Mm. Um, I, I have like this collection of brilliant women who are DEI practitioners. I'm I'm sure that I do. I'm sure Um, she's in there. She talked about that, the understanding of like being a woman and being a professional woman and having this image that there's somehow this magical, um, this magical uh, equation that has this work-life balance. And it's just like, it doesn't exist. I miss PTO meetings. <laughs> it's like, it's like <laughs> you know, you just kind of have to figure out like what your groove is. And someday, sometime your groove will be like that I'm able to be this super engaged mom. And sometimes mm-hmm. your groove will be, you know, I, I maybe haven't baked cookies in a year for, whatever mm-hmm. have you, right? And so she's like, mm-hmm. and you have to get to a place where you can give up the guilt of that because some mm-hmm. of that over expectation never was healthy for us anyway. So leading mm-hmm. into like Nick's question about like, how do you give up the guilt of that? Yeah. Of all the things that you do, how do you give up the guilt and just say, you know, I'm gonna take care of me. I'm gonna take care of my wellness. Not only am I gonna take care of my wellness, but I'm gonna com- I'm gonna build a community that encourages other women to do it as well. Right. In addition to being a DEI practitioner. Thank you. Lot to balance. I mean, I feel like <laughs> I feel like I feel like you're throwing me a softball to um, say. <laughs> well, I, don't worry, I'll throw the hardballs at you. That's why we friends. Thank you, girl. Um, to say that um, I do have a couple of communities that really focuses on this idea of helping uh, women focus on self-care, self-empowerment, and self-love. And so women work well. Uh, we do a live chat for working moms. Really, I, I think the things that I do are an expression of who I am, right? So um, 
you know, curating conversations for working moms, that's because motherhood can be isolating. Motherhood can be challenging. It can be draining. And so I just want to create a space where people can come and let their hair down and ask the questions and share the life hacks. So that is an extension. I regularly um, host those. So go to my website, DesireeSColeman.com. That's DesireeSColeman.com. You see that commercial? Um, to find out more about <laughs> these it. upcoming things. But um, I would say there, and I don't know who to give credit to, but um, I've heard people talk about a glass ball and that being the most important thing in a given season, in a given time of life. And that is the thing that cannot fall, right? And that glass ball can change from season to season. So in one season, it may be super important that you focus on family. And so that is the thing where maybe work takes more of a backseat. Maybe, you know, your personal hobbies take more of a backseat. And it is like all hands on deck for family. In another season, work may be the glass ball and work may be demanding more of you and work may be requiring you to show up differently, which may mean you have to lean on your village to support your kiddos or you have to have tough conversations with your partner to say, hey, this is what I need in this season to be able to devote more time. And then in other seasons, maybe your personal passion. So whether that's going back to school or blogging or starting a whole podcast, I see y'all shout out, um, <laughs> you know, you're able to do those things, but you know, the, the other balls, you know, things may, things may take a back seat, but that glass ball is going to be the one thing that you're focused on. And so I think recognizing that I can't do it all right? I can't do it all. And I don't even try. So when you're like, how do you do it all? I'm like, do I? I don't know. Cause I don't, right. I do what I can. And I realize that in different seasons, what I can do changes and shifts. So there have been seasons. I I'm a creative. I'm, I was that kid, like cutting and creating things and sewing and drawing and dancing. So um, part of writing, part of reading is that creative outlet for me. And there are times when I can't do that as much as I would like, but I know it's because I'm focusing on the most important thing. And so I just think um, not expecting yourself to be able to do it all and recognizing that um, life is about seasons. Yeah. That has been what's helped me to keep things in perspective. So I'm like, like being in the moment, you know, kind yeah. of just being in that moment and realizing that you, you can't, ha you can't have multiple moments at the same time. I'm waiting to know when the how to books coming out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was I reading. Mm -hmm. I was reading uh, an interview you did when you f first started your 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 recent uh, your job, and you were having some conversations with an interviewer, and and something you said, a couple of things you said stood out to me. But one of the things you said that intrigued me, you said, "I believe that each employee in the organization is a culture keeper." Ex elaborate on that. What do you mean by a culture keeper? Y'all are making me blush, like the <laughs> fact that. <laughs> Y'all have we want to, we want to have to, we research our guests. We don't just come mm -hmm. on. We want to talk to y'all. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so it's this idea that we can establish organizational norms or we can say, these are the things that are important to us. So we can, um, articulate our, our values or the core expectations of leaders around DEI, right? And it's not up to the DEI person 
to keep that going, mm -hmm. right? It's not up to the employee resource groups to keep that going. It is literally up to everyone. And it's sort of creating the recognition that each of us through our interactions with other people are going to leave people with a feeling each day. And that feeling may be like, wow, this is such a collegial place. Or wow, this is such an innovative place. Or wow, this is this is a place that made me feel dismissed. Or wow, this place really minimized my voice. And so the idea of being a culture keeper is that each of, each of us, how we interact, how we show up, how we are silent, and how we um, are allies for other creates our culture. Right. Yes. It's not a single individual. It's this collective set of actions, intentions that create the culture either we want or we don't want. And so I just try to impress upon people that, you know, I can't do my work as a DEI practitioner as like, you know, like I am leading the charge. I am setting the table. I am articulating a vision and it's going to take all of us to really create the the culture we want to see. Yeah. Let me tail in off of your analogy there. You're setting the table, you're creating the culture, but I'm not going to feed you. You have to eat yourself. That's about that. I like that. Um, and it, it's, it really speaks to the work that, that we all do as well when we talk about culture because it's about, you said the word collective, and I know our ears perked up because we talk a lot about collective regard. Um, so really, really like to hear that. But it still amazes me too, like following you know, folks, individuals like Desiree or other people on, on, on LinkedIn, Facebook, how many people that, especially that look like me are like, well, can you explain that in detail and give me all the information and, you know, something they could find on Google in five minutes. Mm -hmm. It's like, I mean, it's, so, it's gotta be exhausting, but again, for the people in the back, say yeah, one more time. I mean, it's just like. What do you, yeah, that's real talk. Like when is, when is Desiree, I guess in your world, when is the point where you, you, you decide yeah. to tell a client or a friend or an organization, you know what? You've asked me enough questions. You're not writing enough checks to me, first of all. Yeah. But, Come but, on. No but you're, 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 asking me, you're asking me <laughs> enough questions. Tell, tell me what you have done. Right. Do, you, do, you have a, do you get to that point with your clients or your friends or colleagues where you have to tell them, look, you need to go learn for yourself. Quit asking me questions. Or how, how do you deal with that? It's a good question. Well, I, I am always the first to say that, like, um, being in this space is emotional labor, right? I was having a conversation with a colleague, like, as I read, as I, I'm currently, I, okay, I have a collection of books on rotation, and a lot of the books I read are heavy, so then I have to counterbalance those books with something light. Um, but two of the heavy books that I'm reading right now, um, The Sum of Us by um, Heather McGee. So good. It is so good. Um, and it talks, the subtitle is um, How Racism Costs Us All. Um, and so listening to all of these historical um, accounts of instances of racial injustice, racial intolerance, uh, racial indifference, and grappling with that and understanding how that fits into present day context and the ramifications of those things is heavy, right? I'm as I hold space for people to share their experience or to alert me to a challenge that they're having. That is emotional labor. As I mm -hmm. set the table and, and allow people to learn, engage, and maybe um, 
create opportunities for discussion, that is emotional labor. So I always try to remind people that there's a cost. Like if you are truly being effective at this work, you're constantly reading. You are hearing about the atrocities that are happening in the world and the shootings and the the targeting and the um, discrimination. And so um, grappling with that is tough. So I do always remind people that Google is your friend and that you can find resources, podcasts, articles, you know, um, but I, I know every individual who's a DEI practitioner has a different way that they can show up, right? Mm -hmm. The way that I choose to show up, um, I want to spark a conversation. Like I welcome challenging questions. And so, um, I try to, you know, that's part of the reason why I share my thought leadership because I want people to say like, huh, I didn't know that or huh. Yeah. And so those are the, the that, that's part of what I want to do. However, right, I do also encourage people like, oh, here's another great resource. Or if you want to learn more here, go here Yeah. Um, to try to yeah. encourage people to do their own work because I, I do think that's important. Yeah. Well, it's one great my, to spark it, but at some point yeah. they got light their own fire too. It's like, one of my, um, my cousins who is a, di you guys know, she's a dynamic um, women's wellness person too. Desiree, I have to connect you guys. And okay. the way she shapes it when, it when she talks to people is she says like, you get to do your own work. Like you get, mm -hmm. like you have the, you're here another day because you have the honor of mm -hmm. helping make not only the world, but around you, but doing that like your self-reflection as well. Or I love when you said, I actually wrote it down, when you said doing your own me search, right? Like you get to do your own me search mm -hmm. to make you a better place and show up more more abundantly in the world. So mm -hmm. I, like that. Mm -hmm. yep. I love that. Right. Um, and, and this is Do we have a listener question? Do we have one today? Did we get a listener question? We usually have a listener question. Did we get one today? We, we did. We well, I did have a listener question when Good. I when we jumped on today, and it actually was from Katie. And Katie is out of Cedar Falls, so big shout out to you, Katie, out of Cedar Falls. Hey, Katie. Yes, hey, Katie. And so Katie says she kind of read a little bit about you, some of your background, and she said, "What advice would you give to those who are trying to identify and work with other DEI advocates, especially if you are a person not a person of color?" Um, I would say, number one, um, we need everybody at the table. So in the same way that I, as a DEI practitioner, cannot advance DEI without everyone, it is truly going to take each of us. I had an opportunity um, to do a keynote for Diversity Awareness Partnership. And one of the things that I really tried to resonate, um, make sure it resonated was this idea like it takes all of us, right? Because you may be in an industry that I am not. Someone else may have the ear of those who I do not. Someone else may have influence with an organization that I do not. And so I think that people should not shy away or feel like, oh my gosh, if I'm not a member of an underrepresented group, I can't be a part of it. Um, there are uh, folks who have positions of power who are going to need to make decisions in the best interest of creating equitable outcomes. So we need everybody um, to the extent that there can be sort of some cross-sharing, some coalitions, some 
partnerships, some shared learning, I always think that, you know, having a partner in this work is better. So I would say reach out, connect. I follow to to your point, Joy, I follow so many people on LinkedIn, which if you are not following me on LinkedIn, like what are you waiting for? Yeah. That's a right comment from um, <laughs> <laughs> But I learn stuff, right? And I'll see right. people and I'll be like, ooh, I did not realize that. And so it's, you know, finding those those micro ways to connect, I think, is kind of like fuel for your tank to keep going in this work. Yeah, I know yeah. we we talk about that and we we feel we feel blessed, you know, Nick Joy and I and, and that the the level of physical diversity we have and we we don't shy away from that. You know, we talk about it if 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 I need if if Nick as a white man can get us in front of these these individuals to bring them to the table to listen, that's okay. If if Anthony uh, as a black man or, or joy as a black woman, if, if their leverage is better, that's okay. Like we, let's not shy away from that. Let's leverage it and use it. Uh, the end goal is the same. I love how you refer to yourself in the third person. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. The end Follow Anthony Arrington on LinkedIn. Follow Anthony Arrington. Well, I love even that. Um, Anthony, I remember earlier we were talking a little bit about, uh, industries that we know are out there that haven't been known historically for having um, people of color working for them, or at least at certain levels, right? Like you talked about that concrete ceiling, like entry point, fine, we can see you there. But as soon as we start getting management, we see less and less people of color, less and less women, maybe one, maybe two. And so Desiree, what is something that you think as a practitioner in the space, what is something that you are hopeful for? going forward and making some change for transformation and then even tell us something that maybe you know gives you pause at night when it talks about the current DEI state of diversity equity inclusion in in, in the U.S. is more specifically in the Midwest yeah um I'm hopeful for racial justice um I think that if we can create systems across um across spheres and across um arenas, I think that is optimal for me. I know that um, I shared on LinkedIn earlier this week that uh, Maternal Health Awareness Day was this yeah. week. And so there's a concept about um, health equity and disparities in healthcare and who is listened to in healthcare, right? If you think about I mentioned earlier the punishment gap, but that extends to the educational system and, you know, the prison to school, school to prison pipeline and the harsher discipline that many black and brown students experience. Um, if you think about um, environmental justice and brownfields and communities that have been subjected to chemical waste, um, if you think about economic justice and communities where there has been disinvestment systematically um, across every sphere <laughs> that you can name, like that is what I hope for. Uh, faith is my cornerstone. It is what enables me to stay in this work because I think if I didn't have that as an anchor, it would be so easy to lose hope. And I think what allows me to show up every day is, is the expectation that the promise will be fulfilled. I often think back on historical figures who um, envisioned what they want. Maybe they didn't see it in their lifetime, but the change came. And so I'm like, how can I can I harness the, the power of my, my ancestors to keep pushing forward? You know, um, 
I I don't want to invoke slavery because um, Black resilience and community is so much more than that. But I think about um, Harriet Tubman and does she ever like truly believe that all people will be free? She saw the path and she saw what she had to do. So she was a part of it. But with the all of the um, atrocities and all of the economic um, claws literally in the backs of Black folks um, with the racial indifference and hatred and lynchings. Like, did she, did she truly believe that that was going to be possible? Um, and so when you see quotes by her that say every dream begins with a dreamer, right? She had a dream. Um, yeah. I am not going to invoke um, MLK, but it really is this idea of what is our expectation, right? And I think about the legacy that I want to leave. I think about um, in referencing the 1619 um, series that's on Hulu, there was a group that was focused on voter rights and they talked about um, really expecting to see equity in their lifetime. And so um, I guess I would just say um, racial justice yeah. across all careers of life. What keeps you up at night? Hmm. Is it racial justice too? Four kids. Four kids. Four kids. Nick said four kids. Like I feel like sometimes they sabotage me, um, and they don't want me to be great. <laughs> um, and so, like, yeah, this usually, you know, my husband and I are like, here come the shenanigans, because you know sometimes, you know, kids are not like, okay, I'm going to do what I need to. Do and I'm, I mean, I'm going to go to bed, like there's going to be some type of theatrics. And so I'm, I'm always dealing with that. Um, yeah. But my kids are my greatest joy. They are my why, like in the most challenging seasons of my life, like they yeah. gave me hope and inspiration to keep moving forward. So, um, you know, when there are challenges, it's par for the course. And yeah, um, yeah. actually, it's, you know, we, we all have we all have kids here. So, you know, what advice would you give to us, you know, about, or how do you instill this work we do into your children? Or how do they perceive it? I know Joy is always having conversations with her daughter. She'll be like, yeah, me and my daughter were talking last night. And I'd be like, dang, my daughter didn't call me about that. Yeah, my kids call me if they want money. <laughs> so how do you instill this work and how do you instill these values into your children? It's the oldest though. Let, let the record reflect. Okay. There's two that... I have some work to do. And Jeff, unfortunately, our kids probably listen to this. And you know. <laughs> how do you instill those values in your in your children, though, Desiree? Um, I would say that um, we regularly just talk about things that are important, like mm -hmm. when we're driving. Um, I'll be like, "What do y'all notice? Um, look at look at the housing. What do y'all notice? Why do you think that is?" And then I'll use that to spark a conversation about redlining. Um, one thing about me, I lecture. Sorry, not sorry. Um, so I'm always mm -hmm. like kind of like lecturing my kids. <laughs> um, and so because um, I want them to think critically. I want them yeah. to be world citizens. I want them also to know that the world is not black and white. I want them to know that they're part in, of an African diaspora that has this long lineage of greatness. And so um, I'll pull up, you know, my children were talking about um, 
the continent of Africa and they had some very stereotypical notions. And so I'm like, nope, let me, let me show you Nigeria. Let me pull it up. I'm sorry. What do you see these buildings? Do you see the people? Do you see the culture? So it's, it's a personal mission for me. I know some people stumble yeah. into DEI. I got it honest. Like I was that kid at nine years old watching Eyes on a Prize, like watching um, documentaries, reading books. Cause I've, it just, it, it interests me, it fuels me. And so I'll find different ways to have conversations with my kid. I'll be like, hey, guess what? Um, did you know X, Y, Z happened? Did you, how, do, how does that make you feel? And so I spark conversations. I want them to be knowledgeable and informed yeah. when they were younger, it was much harder. Yeah. Um, here in St. Louis, we lived through the murder of Michael Brown. And at that time, my kids were like, um, preschool age mm -hmm. and you know we had to use books to have conversations around like um, this happened to this individual um, you know this is this is why it likely happened to this individual um, one thing I'm really careful about is framing and so I want them to always stand in their power as um, young black girls, um, talking about the two daughters that I have birthed. Mm -hmm. And I want them never to um, embrace some of the negative imagery, the negative um, self-talk, the, the, the um, internalized racism that can be so easily absorbed through all facets of society. So I approach it from a place of um, awareness and not as a place of like, what was me? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Because I want them to know what happens without it crushing their spirits yeah. um, and or, you know, making them feel down yeah. about themselves. I hope our listeners got that, you know, talk to your children, you know, there are opportunities. We talk to them about everything else, homework and girlfriends and boyfriends and math and yeah, I, I love what I heard you say, Desiree, and this is so easy for any of us. If you're just riding in a car and you you have an opportunity with your children to to point out something that's educational, even doesn't matter if you're white, black, th you, these are opportunities to do that. So, Nick, I know you and I've talked and yeah. when you're taking kids to where we grew up. Right. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. But when when Nick's dad travels, you know, 75 yeah. year old white man, when he travels to communities, he purposely goes places yeah. that he's not familiar with. Yeah, he'll go to Atlanta and go to the, some um, of the worst neighborhoods just not, to remind himself yeah. of why he's doing what he's doing. And some people might look at that as, oh, it's self-fulfilling or it's, you know, um, they may perceive that differently. But if there's a, a sincere intent, those are those are good things. So glad to hear you do yeah. that with your with And your I loved kids. hearing about the, the hope because, you know, we, we always we kind of joke about it, but it's serious, too, about our vision is someday we're not required to be in this line of work. It'd be nice if this job wasn't required. Yeah. And whether it happens in our lifetime or our kids, yeah. you know, we got to have to hope that, that we get there. Yeah. So I liked hearing that too. That was awesome. Yeah. Well, Desiree, I know we're, we're nearing the end, you know, uh, as we say to all of our guests, we know we could do this all day, but um, we're near the end of our show. So I want to make sure. Already? Yeah. I know. We have to have a part two. Yep. Got to have a part hey. two. Get uh, you up here to visit. Yeah. Yeah. I got to get you up here to visit. Is there anything? I'll that... be there this summer, potentially, because I think okay. my daughter, well, we'll be in Des Moines, because I think my daughter is going to um, participate in Junior Olympics. Oh, so awesome. I'll be hey. in Iowa. What sport? Um, um, track. Nice. Nice. Desiree, let us know. I have an amazing, yeah. we have some amazing um, colleagues in the Des Moines area. Yeah. And so yep. 
I go there pretty frequently when the weather isn't bad. My my partners okay. laugh because they know it's snow. Sure, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a girl that don't like to drive in bad weather, Desiree. Just I don't so like you know. to drive in bad weather. I don't. <laughs> When the weather isn't bad, we have some amazing colleagues. We do. I would love to. It's always worth a road trip to Des Moines anyway. Yeah, let us know when you're here. We'd love to visit you. But is there anything that we haven't talked about today? Any advice for our listeners? Anything you want to talk about that we haven't mentioned? Or what's up next for you? Yeah, what's happening in your world? Where's that book coming out? Uh-huh. Ooh. Nick, you have said it. And I heard you the first time. And I was like, hmm. And then you said it again. Yep. So yes. I appreciate it. Um, that is a goal, you know, at some point, but I will say, um, what I would leave with your listeners is stay in it. Um, you know, we'll have the days where we feel invigorated and, um, being agents of, um, change and, you know, advocating for, for justice, you know, there'll be great days and there'll be challenging days. And so I hope that, uh, these conversations give a little bit of levity, give a little bit of camaraderie to help you stay in it. What's next for me? Um, reading, writing, one day that book. But <laughs> in the meantime, I would love to stay connected with your listeners, y'all. Find me at Desiree S. Coleman on all platforms. And um, it has been a pleasure. So thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank, thank you for joining us. Take us out, Joy. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Oh, I have to get our, our resident selfie that I get on the... Yes, we got to get our selfie. For our listeners, we always Thank get selfies, you. so got to get that selfie in. <laughs> love it, love it. All right. All right. Y'all right got selfie already? I wasn't even smiling. Okay, let's do it again. Let's do it again. You ready? Wait a One... minute. You getting it together, too? One, yeah. two, three. <laughs> All right. <laughs> One more. One more. One more. <laughs> One more. Yes, hold on. Okay, here we go. Okay. Got it. All right. <laughs> All right. We, we're getting selfies. It's Friday, so yes. we appreciate it. But Desiree, again, we always say we, we, we need a part two because we have some of the best guests doing just amazing things, and we need to stay connected in this line of work. That's one of the, the things when you talk about having hope, one of the ways we can continue to create hope is through connection, right? And collaboration. Absolutely. So thank you for joining us today. This is a, a great conversation, just learning more about some of the wonderful things that you do. Again, I told you, girl, you've been, you've been my friend from afar. Like I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's right. No, each other. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So um, then just appreciate it so much today. And I know we also want to give a big shout out to our five-star presenting sponsor, Kirkwood Community College. Nick, I'm sorry. I no, no, please go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm going on my phone today because I forgot my laptop. So okay, no, okay. No worries, really. <laughs> and we appreciate your partnership on this podcast. And also a big thanks to our Silver Diversity sponsor, PG Cares. We also want to give thanks to our Friends of Breaking Barriers supporters, Community and Savings Bank, and Tyler Link and Barnes DDS. We love to hear from you. Hit us up and send your questions, comments, suggestions to info at topranktalentsolutions.com. Yeah. Thanks to our Thank listeners you. out there. We yep. love y'all. Keep listening. Like and share. Uh, check Follow Desiree. Uh, when we drop the yeah. episode, please, please like and share. We, we can't do this without you, and we, we're doing this for you, uh, listeners. So thank you for your time. Somehow, I, I didn't realize I wasn't following Desiree. I fixed that today, though. So. Yeah, I fixed that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, no, I, I thought I had. <laughs> The cool kids are following yep. Desiree. That's right. That's um, right. 
Thanks, everybody. We, we hope all y'all take whatever you whatever you heard today, listeners. Take what you learn and, and, and break some barriers with us. Yep. Keep Th- breaking barriers. Keep breaking barriers. Thanks for your time. Yep. Peace. Advancing equity is not a one-year project. It's a generational commitment. There are too few people in the world willing to be the domino. Too few people willing to take that fall.